morning, Gospel Hope. It is good to see all of your faces. Um, as you've already heard, we are continuing in our series in the book of Galatians, entitled, well, Galatians is entitled Galatians, but our series is entitled Free. And we are exploring the unique and awesome freeing power, liberating power of the gospel. Um, a couple of unique things will come out of today's text. If you've been reading along as kind of a precursor to um, uh, prepping your heart for the series or you've been paying attention to each one of the messages, you'll notice a, a particularly different um, forced or thrust of argument coming from the Apostle Paul. And I'll point some of those things out uh, here in just a few moments, but first let's pray. Um, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you and I praise you for what you have ordained and how you have curated this moment for yourself. It is in your word that you call people to gather in your name. It is in your word that you illustrate the unique beauty, both practically and spiritually, of what happens when the body of Christ gathers rightly. Through the historical record of your scripture, you show us mighty and incredible things that happen when your people come together and seek to worship you in spirit and in truth. Would you lead us now, oh God, in a teaching of your word that fully corresponds with what you say these gifts and this time is meant for, for the equipping of the saints, for the perfecting of the saints, and for the working of ministry. Would you, Lord God, please allow us to experience the powerful description and promise of scripture that through this message we would all hear doctrine that our thinking about you would be shaped and grounded aright allowing our worship to become more precise allowing our work to become more precise and earnest Lord God because we've got good doctrine Lord God would you also as your doctrine runs throughout our lives would you reprove us will you show us the areas where we've blown it and repentance is in order would you show us correction where maybe we started out well, like the Galatians, but then we veered in some untoward path that needs to be brought back into perspective? Lord God, would you correct us? Lord God, would you, would you give us righteous examples and ways to practice and carry out regular everyday life? Please do not leave us in the first century, would you fast forward or bring us at your appropriate speed into contemporary life so that we know exactly how to take uh, these historic gems of truth and implement them into daily Christian practice in our marriages, in our families, and on our jobs, and wherever else we go to do mission. Lord God, would you um, let there be a clear and obvious demonstration of your spirit so that the faith of the audience does not rest in oratory ability or in the education of the speaker, but in the very clear portrait of your son, Jesus Christ, crucified, and all that you intend for us to absorb from that today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as I mentioned prior to my prayer that the Apostle Paul seems to make a little bit of a shift in the tone of his argument. Actually, the tone is the same. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. He's still coming kind of hard and heavy. You can tell that he is a good deal frustrated. 
But in the two previous chapters, if you've been following the series, you'll notice that he's been arguing for um, justification alone comes from the gospel. He's been arguing for kind of the permanence and the consistency of the gospel, that it doesn't need to be changed over time. He's been arguing for the exclusivity of the gospel and how you don't need anything else other than that uh, to have a profound and meaningful relationship with the Lord. And then when we get to chapter 3, there's just from a literary perspective, if you listen to it or if you, or if you read it, you'll notice that for one of the first times, he mentions the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's just kind of been reserving and kind of almost holding back to say, hey, let me just sequence out my argument. But, but he mentions the Holy Spirit this week and, uh, or in this segment of the letter. And then he also uh, begins with another portrayal or a descriptor of the gospel. And so I'm going to tease out some of those as we work through uh, this morning's text here. And then I'm, uh, I'll start by reading, and then we're going to play a little bit of a game. Uh, the folks at the first service loved it. I think you will too. All right, Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, that you are now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain that if indeed, and if it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you uh, work and work miracles among you, is he doing it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those who are, of, who are the sons of Abraham. Those of faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you all nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Taking a look back at these first couple of verses, some heavy language there, and I want to really dive in. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? Uh, this, this term bewitched um, kind of trades on the idea that whatever it is you've been looking at, that you have become the victims of maybe um, not a bait and switch or perhaps a bait and switch or some kind of visual illusion, an evil uh, uh, duping, if you will, of something that you're looking at. And that's why in the very next line he says, now it was before you that Jesus Christ was portrayed, another visual cue, right? He was portrayed as having been crucified, right? Um, and so who's been messing with your eyes? Who's been tampering with your visual? And so today, I, I want to talk to you about this, that a proper picture of the gospel will free you from false narratives. The Galatian church primarily has fallen sway to a false narrative that extends from a failure to see a proper portrayal of the gospel. Now, the gospel has been properly portrayed to them, but they failed to take it in as a proper portrayal. Let's take in some examples ourselves, and here comes the game. If you would, take a look at me on the screen uh, behind me and in front of you. Uh, take a look at this. Now, the images that I'm going to share with you are unaltered, undoctored. They've not been messed with uh, before or after by me or by the original authors. This is exactly what the cameras capture. This is the portrayal. Here's a little statue. And isn't it interesting that at first glance, it looks as if the statue is reaching for the airplane. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that cute? Let's take a look at the next one. 
Now this one, it looks as if a stork actually delivers babies, does it not? But the real portrayal, like, like what's happening, what's happening in context, a proper look and a proper understanding of this passage is that there is a dad who is joyfully playing with his child, throwing him in the air, as so many of us do. We just, babies just love this kind of, you know, weightlessness kind of thing. And a stork just happens to be flying overhead when mom snaps a photo. And voila, I've got message content, right? But, but this is a portrayal. It's, it's not untrue. It's real. It's a real visual. That really did happen. But what is happening? Again, is the baby being dropped up by a stork or is the dad throwing it up? Let's take a look at another visual. Here we have a man uh, working at a bar. And it looks as if on the top he's got on a nice vest and below he's maybe wearing a miniskirt and heels. This is an accurate portrayal. This is an undoctored photo. What is being portrayed here? I mean, what we, our eyes do not deceive us. That really is happening. But what really is happening by way of definition is there's a young lady on the far side, on our side of the bar, who is wearing, you know, what we see on the bottom half, the heels and the miniskirt, and the bar is, just has a mirrored surface. <laughs> somebody, is, somebody got saved. <laughs> Amen. 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 <laughs> it's a mirrored surface, and my man back there, he's not, you know, wearing that. But, but look at it, though. I mean, again, at first glance, that's kind of what, what the eyes got. Um, and then let's take a look at the next one. I didn't get permission for this. Are you in here, honey? Yeah. So here it is, Carrie and I at the Leaning Tower of Pisa, and Carrie is actually holding it up, preventing thousands of people below on the ground from being crushed. Or perhaps she's trying to help the, the ancient architects get it right by pushing it back in place. That's what's being portrayed. Well, anyway, so all four of these visuals offer us a view where we can all see the same thing, but are our brains and our hearts and minds all saying the same things about what we're seeing? I believe that something of that nature has been happening at the Galatian church. All of them were preached to and portrayed a proper view of Jesus Christ and him crucified. However, someone has tampered with their view to make them believe something false about that imagery, and it has resulted in this need for Paul's letter. They've gotten a false narrative. They've fallen prey to a false narrative, even though they have seen a clear portrayal of the gospel. We as a local church press hard on this idea that we want to make disciples who are growing in the gospel as a family while on mission. Hard stop right there when we talk about growing in the gospel. Growing in the gospel means for us not just, but it includes this and, being able to see it, locate it, find it in the scriptures, John 3, 16, Romans 5, 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4 and 5, right? We want you to be able to locate the text where it is. We want you to also be able to look at it and to articulate the gospel, to be able to effectively describe the events that are called the gospel. But we also want you to go a layer deeper. We want you to see it and also be able to unpack it in your own lives, to be able to not just locate the gospel, but to articulate the gospel. To not just articulate, but to implement the gospel in your lives on a regular basis is a major part of what it means for us together to grow in the gospel. 
And so the Galatian church obviously has kind of stopped growing in the gospel because they've gotten this initial glimpse but didn't continue to peer into it deeply and continue to unpack it or else they would not have lost sight of the great promises of God that emanate from the gospel, specifically the Holy Spirit and his great work, which is what we're going to continue to unpack here over the next few moments. So the Apostle Paul, again, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Well, what are some of the useful portrayals that they would have maybe missed? Number one, if you look at Jesus Christ crucified, what you should see is this, at a minimum, that the law of God is fully satisfied, but the love of God is fully exemplified in Christ. It is in Christ that the law of God is fully satisfied. What the, 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 the character of God, the caricature of God, the nature and the principles of God that, 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 were, that, were, that were sketched out for us in the, in the contours of the law, Jesus Christ fulfills it perfectly. When you were looking at the law, you know what it was leading you to? If you look through its lens or its telescope, it was leading you to see the holiness and the righteousness and the super high and wide standard of God that is so comprehensive that no one can measure up to it. And so, therefore, I send my son. He satisfies the law if you see him crucified. So you see the law satisfied if you get a proper portrayal of Jesus on the cross. But then you also see the love of God exemplified. So you see the law of God and the love of God. They are not opposed to one another. They are beautifully portrayed in the same caption of Jesus Christ on the cross when the gospel is portrayed properly. This is a great struggle for the Galatian churches, understanding how to reconcile or what to do with the law. It's satisfied in Christ. In the cross of Christ, you also see flesh being indicted, but the righteousness of God being highlighted. Jesus Christ not only is satisfying the law, but he is also taking on the wrath of God in his flesh, becoming sin for us because we could not satisfy and no flesh can. But then Jesus Christ takes on the dubious task of enduring the wrath of God and enduring death. So therefore, flesh is now being indicted, taking on death, but yet the righteousness of God is being fully highlighted because Jesus Christ was without sin, fully innocent. This is a proper, clear portrayal of Christ crucified. The second one is this. Jesus talked about it himself. That the Savior must be taken up. That the promise of the Spirit would be set down. In John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus says these words, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, that it is to your advantage that I go away. Where was Jesus going away? He wasn't just going to another city. He wasn't, just going, to an, he wasn't going to another continent. He was going up, going away to be seated at the right hand of the Father. He says, I'm going to go away, for if I, if I do not go away, the helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come down to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus spent a lot of time from John chapter 14 all the way through chapter 16 describing the unique ministry of the Holy Spirit and the role that it plays as a, as a follow-up to his resurrection. And so, so anybody who's getting a proper portrayal of the gospel will also get a proper understanding of the unique role and work of the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not an addendum. It's not an add-on. It's not an attachment. It is an expression of what God intends to do through the gospel. 
And so the promise of the Holy Spirit is actually a signature outcome of the gospel because through the work of the Spirit, what the Father in heaven is saying is that I will not leave you with an experience that is devoid of my presence even though my son is no longer walking the earth. I'll make sure you still got access to me. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you to the ends of the earth. These words sound familiar? And so the presence of the Spirit is a unique promised outcome of the completed work of the gospel. And this is obviously an area where Paul feels the need to hammer home with the Galatian church. There are three distinct works of the Holy Spirit uh, that I am going to be pointing out today. I'm not going to forecast them for you. You just have to follow along and I'll make sure that I give them due emphasis. In verses 2 and 3, it says, let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit that you are now being perfected by the faith? Excuse me, being perfected by flesh. I believe the Apostle Paul is taking aim at two central truths of the Christian faith and the work of the Holy Spirit or the perfecting work of the Holy Spirit. He used the word, are you being perfected by the flesh? And here they are, if you can see them on the screen at the same time, it's Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 and Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 through 14. Let's read them kind of. It says here, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Move to Ephesians chapter 1, it says this, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. The perfecting of the work of the Holy Spirit is as follows. The Lord is faithful to finish what he started. The Lord is faithful to finish what he started. When we place faith in the crucified Christ, we receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, and God then opens a yet another chapter in his continuing gospel work inside our very bones. What he started, he's faithful to finish through the work of the Spirit. The Lord is not only faithful to finish what he started, but the Lord is also faithful, according to Ephesians, to seal what he has saved. To seal what he has saved. What he has captured, what he has redeemed, what he purchased through Christ at the cross, what uniquely became him through, through, this, through this eternal financial transaction of satisfying our, our, our former debt, now, purchasing us as his own, he says, and I will make a down payment, place it in your life, and that down payment, that guarantee that I'm going to come back and finish what I did, that is the seal of the Holy Spirit. And the seal of the Holy Spirit says, it isn't just a tattoo, it isn't just a t-shirt, it isn't just a symbol, it isn't just a necklace. The seal of the Holy Spirit is God saying, no one will ever be able to take you from me. And so the perfecting work of the Spirit is one that the law can never replicate. Why? Because while the law is greatly informative, only the Spirit can be transformative. The law is useful. I mean, if you ever wanted some aspect of the character, the nature, uh, 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 and, the, and, the, and the, the ways and the means and the thoughts and the heart of God, if you could commit it to paper, that's what you got in the law. And by trying to follow all of that, which you immediately find out you can't consistently follow that, the only way to know him in spirit and in truth is not by trying to tick off all the laws you can faithfully follow, but to yet have the laws written on our very hearts. Hebrews chapter 10, 
verse 16, this covenant I will make with them. This is a quote in Hebrews from the Old Testament. This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. So the Lord always having set up the law as kind of a precursor to this place where he was always taking humanity. I don't want the law to live on stone tablets, hugged up in, in special sacred places and buildings. I want the law to be written on the hearts of people. Well, how does he write the laws on our hearts? Through the person of his Holy Spirit who is living in us, constantly reminding us of what we saw at the cross and what he has said in his word. This is the unique ministry of the Holy Spirit, the perfecting work of the Holy Spirit. God is going to finish what he started. Paul argues primarily, now do you think that this perfecting work is being performed or coming from the law. It's not. It comes from a proper portrayal and understanding of Jesus' work on the cross. The law does not have this kind of promise. Moving on to verses 3 and 4, or actually 4 through 6, he says, Did you suffer so many things in vain? That if indeed it was in vain, uh, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, you do so by, do you do so by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Uh, the, the question that he's asking is, listen, the, the, the Lord has come in among you and put on a clear and obvious demonstration of his spirit. There, there are things that are happening that only the spirit can do. Whether it was a unique conviction because you, you, you heard the message preached and you're saying, oh my goodness, the preacher must know my life. And no, don't know you at all. But you, you feel this unique sense of very specific conviction. And it's like, that's got to be the Holy Spirit taking the word and knitting it to my heart and aiming it at me. Or in their case, or in addition to that, in their case, they saw miracles worked amongst them. On the day of Pentecost, here it is that Jesus says to his disciples, listen, um, you know, I'm going to go. The Spirit's going to come. You'll be witnesses to me. Uh, in, 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 the very, in, in Jerusalem, Judea, and, and, and in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And then the disciples are, are, are there in Acts chapter 2, and there's this unique situation where all these people from all over the world bringing their various language barriers come in, but the gospel can't be stopped and the work's got to be done. So the Holy Spirit, through a miraculous work, allows the disciples who don't know these other languages to speak in a way so that they can hear the wonderful works of God in their own languages. This is the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit is not only a perfecting work in us internally, but it is a powerful work, a very powerful work. Two passages of Scripture on the screen that you'll see behind you, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In addition to that, Paul then takes aim at the church and says, therefore, when he, talking about Jesus, ascended on high, that's a, you know, the resurrection expression, he led a host of captives and then he gave gifts to men. And after that, he fully describes these unique gifts that he gave to the body of Christ, if you know anything about the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Well, in that, two things are happening. The Spirit enables us to do God's work, and the Spirit then gives gifts that equips us to do God's work. We've got an external work and an internal work that needs to be done. People need to be equipped, so he gives gifts to do it. 
People need to, to, to be acquainted and, and presented with the gospel. And so he gives unique supernatural capabilities of people who doesn't have the human strength to, to, to cross the globe and get people on board to hear the wonderful works of God. They didn't have that in their own strength. The Holy Spirit gave that unique capability. And the Galatians are the beneficiaries of this unique and miraculous ministry where God, by his own power, through the work of the Spirit, proves that he is amongst his people. We, um, Daniel, you, you'll appreciate this. I told the first service about how when we would, uh, you know, when we first started selling, you know, you could close some deals just by taking donuts and flowers to the receptionist. Uh, maybe even showing up with some chocolates or some Braves tickets for the uh, folks in HR, you know, something like that. But then when you got to the C-suite, I mean, we was taking people to the Kentucky Derby, NASCAR, you know, renting hospitality suites at the Masters or whatever, and they were like, oh, okay, that's, that's cute. And what we realized is that we had, to, we had to do something else. It wasn't about how showy or wonderful or awesome the presentation was. We had this little phrase that we coined, and it was this. Don't take our word for it. Why don't you ask our other customers? We needed manifold witness of other people. What the Holy Spirit does is gives a manifold witness to the unique power and working of the gospel so that our hearts are regularly refreshed of its truth. That is part of the unique ministry of the Holy Spirit. Where the Apostle Paul can say, okay, you can look at the cross, take my word for it, but listen, there's somebody else who wants to talk to you. It's the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, who testifies that you indeed are also the children of God, who's working in your lives in this incredible and transformative way. You used to be people who bowed down to idols and were involved in all kinds of nastiness or whatever the case may be. But think about it. The Holy Spirit has now transformed you. Remember, the law can inform, but only the Holy Spirit can transform. But the, bar, the, bar, uh, the Bible goes even further. I believe that these two particular passages not only uh, demonstrate that there is a perfecting work of the Spirit and a powerful work of the Spirit, because the law, while it can educate, it never empowers. The law can educate us on what we blew it. The law can educate us on what we've missed it. The law can educate us on how far we are from actually living up to God's standard, but it can never empower us to really meet it. The more we learn the law of God, we recognize just how far we are from him. It is bad news that has to be buttressed by the good news that, yes, you can never live up to this standard. But guess what? There is someone who does, the crucified Christ. Will you trust me? Will you take me at my word that if you place faith in him, you will become beneficiaries of his righteousness? The law not only educates, but it never empowers, nor does it evangelize. But the Holy Spirit does. He uniquely empowers us to not only be transformed ourselves, but to facilitate the work of transformation in the lives of others by giving us the unique ability to share the gospel beyond our own lives and borders. Last section of verses, verse 7 through 9. Know then that, the, that those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abram, saying, In you shall all neighbors be blessed. This is the first time that in the text we turn the corner and start using this paternal language. And so I believe that the third work, one of the third works of the Holy Spirit, is that it would be a paternal work, the paternal work of the Spirit. Uh, Paul argues that the law could never make you sons and daughters. 
You could follow it all you want to, and at best, you would just be compliant if you could, but you'll never be children. Now, I also believe that, that in the backdrop of what's happening in the Galatian churches, there are people who have marched in and said, not only do you need to get circumcised and follow certain rules and principles to be the real deal, but guess what? We, the children of Israel, have a unique distinction by way of our covenant, and the signature of covenant is circumcision. And so what Paul is doing right here is he's literally setting off a, a grenade to this argument that in order to be the real deal and to be actually be children of God, you need to follow somehow the law. Because what he's showing is that before anybody could call themselves the children of Israel, the real marker in that was trusting God in his word. It was faith, gospel being preached beforehand to Abram, before there was a law. Faith as a means of, of, of knowing God has always predated and superseded trying to follow God's law. I'll say that again. Faith in God's word has always superseded trying to follow God's law. Let me give you a few examples. In the Garden of Eden, let's just go all the way back. In the Garden of Eden, they were given carte blanche with the exception of one tree in the midst of the garden. In their efforts to navigate that legalistically, well, here's what he did say and what he didn't say. The fundamental thing that God was inviting them to do was, will you trust me? Man, you don't know what will happen. You don't know what will happen to your world. You don't know what happened to your lives. You don't know what happened to your eyes. You don't even, you don't even know you're naked yet. You have no clue what will happen to your lives if you don't trust my words to not take of that tree. This is the same way. You have to literally, Adam and Eve, you don't even know what death is, but I need you to die to your own selves and your own intellect and your own innate abilities. I need you to die to yourself so that you can live with me. The gospel was resident in the soil of the Garden of Eden. You, you, you fast forward in the scripture. Don't even have to go fast. Just kind of take a, move forward a few pages. The ark. God comes to Abram and says, oh, excuse me, God comes to Noah and says, something's going to happen that's never happened before. You won't be able to, to detect this with the eyes. We've never had a global flood of this type. I need you to die to yourself, die to your own interests, die to your own intellect, and I need you to build this ark. Why would you build the ark unless you trusted God? He didn't have any degrees of meteorology. He didn't have any other proof points. He had to trust God. That's the only thing. So, so there's always been this gospel framework of trusting God at his word within the lives of those that were really his. Abram obviously had to trust God in his word when he didn't see a visual solution like, where is the sacrifice? I guess I'm sacrificing Isaac, but Lord, you're going to do something. He couldn't live by sight. He had to live by faith. Trusting God at his word, if he told him to sacrifice Isaac, God knew, he knew that God was going to do something powerful and awesome, even if he raised up Isaac. The book of Exodus Moses was spoken to, and he leads God's people out of Egypt, and here they are with their eyes. They've never seen water stand up like that, and they've never walked through on dry ground. They've never seen anything like this. They can't live by sight. They have to live by faith if they're going to be saved and get on the other side of the collapsing sea. It is a pre, it is a, a kind of a, 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 an appetizer or a gospel being preached beforehand. Similarly, David, I believe, really underlines this in his lowest yet finest hour. He has fallen greatly and he has is, he is fallen in sin with his historical adultery, but now he has fallen on his face before the Lord in Psalm 51 and he says these words, you did not delight in sacrifice or I would give it to you. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices and the offerings of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, 
you do not despise. He's not invalidating the law, but he says, Lord, if fully following the law is what you really wanted, we'd be good to go. But what you're really looking for is a broken heart. You see, see, the law only gave a sketch of the character and nature of God. But the Christ and his sacrifice gives us the character and nature of God in full HD, 8K. I think that's the newest iteration, right? That's the big one. It gives it to us. And, and so whenever we peer into the gospel properly, we're getting this, this, this beautiful, vivid portrayal of the character and nature of God. And it invites us to, 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 to step in there by faith. This is how we come to know God. It completely disarms us from our individual abilities to try to follow all of the rules and therefore I'll be able to exact on this formula and God will bless me. We have to trust him by faith. Faith in God's word has always superseded trying to follow God's law, as you can see from this historic example that Paul gave as well as the ones that I just announced to you. Faith in God's word has always been the sign of those who are his true children. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 8, uh, verse 21, when he was preaching publicly, and there were those who came up and said, hey, Jesus, your mother and your siblings are here, and they'd like to see you. And Jesus turns and says, hey, my brothers and sisters are those who follow the will of my Father. How could they do it without faith? Faith has always been the framework. Now, you may be saying, well, Pastor Rod, I feel wonderfully equipped to talk about the multi-pronged argument of Paul in the book of Galatians. But what about me? Well, here's what about you. Where in your life are you failing to trust God at his word? Where are you replicating the weakness of the Garden of Eden where you, it, it is clear that God says what not to do and you're trying to find every way to work an end around. You're not trusting him. Where is it in your life that the gospel is screaming at you? And you're saying to yourself, well, wait a minute, God, I, I need to figure a few more things out. Where in your life are you depending on your sight, your abilities, your strength, and you are tired, you are frustrated, you are, you are, you are, you are essentially faithless, and you feel a unique pull to say, God, I need to trust you. I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the visuals. But I, one thing that is clear to me is that you sent your son to die for me on the cross. And I will look squarely at that. And whatever it is you have for me in that that should be shaped in my life, Lord, give that to me. If you're struggling with that, man, I want to talk to you. If you're struggling, if you're, if you're saying to yourself, I, I get it. I see your passion, Pastor Ron. I notice that you talk about, you and Pastor Ryan talk about the gospel all the time. But it isn't just that deep for me. I need some other promises. I need some other special passages that speak more directly to my situation. Well, let me tell you something. All the other passages that you would prefer all point to and get their power from the original premise of the gospel. It is the gospel. It is, it is Jesus being raised from the dead that gives validity to the scriptures and everything else that orbits around it. All the other promises that you might want to cherry pick from various pieces of scripture, they, 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 they all fall apart if Jesus didn't really raise from the dead. All the special miracles and parables that you would love to plug your own self into and say, oh, that's me, I'm about to get blessed a hundredfold. They all fall apart if there is no resurrection. I don't know what you're going through, I don't know where you are, but everything seems to always fall in our culture somewhere around resource deficits, relationship brokenness, 
or just a personal sense of rest. Lord, help me, rescue me, I need you. No matter where you are on that spectrum, trust me, the gospel is the answer. And yeah, do, 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 do you need some help uh, uh, kind of threading the needle to seeing which biblical principles apply more directly to your current situation and then someone to help you get back to the gospel to see that? Yeah, that's my job, that's Ryan's job. That's what we do for a living, is to help you with that. So don't, don't sit where you are knowing that God is calling you to respond, calling you to trust him in faith. And you're sitting there going, well, I, I want to wait until I kind of get a little bit more figured out. Don't do that. Do not fall prey to the false narrative that you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You don't have any boots and you have no straps. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come asking that you would continually sanctify and correct our narrative. Whatever it is that we have believed that is the departure from the original portrayal of your gospel, Lord God, would you point it out to us that we'd be swift to repent? Lord God, wherever it is in my life that I have abandoned the unique empowerment of the Spirit, would you remind me, would you show me that I'd get back to depending on him depending on his leading, his conviction, his leading and guiding. Lord God, for those that are listening to me, would you, would you, would you help them as you inventory the hearts that are in the room? Would you find each one of us, even if we can't fully articulate where we are, if we know we need you and we don't have you, Lord God, would you, would you move on our hearts that we will move towards you? Lord God, help us as a people to constantly grow in the gospel. And for those of us that don't know you, Lord God, would you help us to now know the gospel? This in Jesus' name we pray, amen.